Good morning, City Hill. What a wonderful group of people. Hello to the people under that shade tree. I see you as well. Good morning to you all. It's beautiful to see everybody find shade. That's great. This morning, this morning, we would like you to open your Bibles, be it by phone or Palm Pilot or tablet or pages, however that be, to act. Acts chapter 5, we got them all. Yeah, that's right. This year, we believe that God has called it to be a year of being empowered. And as I can just kind of hear somebody going, empowered, this has been a crazy year. It's been a hard year. And I go, yes, we need the power of God, right? We need the power of God to give us the strength, the courage, the faithfulness to move through challenging times, a year of empowerment. And to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. In increasing measure, we need the Holy Spirit. It's not just a matter of one time being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is a wonderful, super important part of our walk in the Lord. But day by day, it's good for us to wake up and say, Lord Jesus, fill me anew. Lord, I need more of your spirit. Walking with Christ is a challenge. Not walking with Christ is a greater challenge. So which challenge? Walk with the Lord where I'm walking with Christ. Should I just shift this out? Okay, just turn that off. Let's try this one. And if that doesn't work, I can shout loud enough. Try that one there, Jeff. Okay. Oh, that's a little better. Yep. I think part of my training for microphone challenges was living in Dominican Republic where lights would go out randomly, where chickens and dogs were in the front. Um, you just make it work. And the Lord's bigger than all.
mean, they just denied him just weeks before. They fled in times of difficulty. And Jesus is saying it to you guys, I'm going to leave the church. Why wasn't Jesus terrified? Because he sent them the Holy Spirit. He says, you guys are going to really need power because you're pretty weak. Anybody identify with being a little weak? When you have that moment to share Christ and you punt? Because it's just, you know, I don't know, you just chicken out. We all have those moments. The Holy Spirit that with wisdom and grace show us how to walk in his power. So he leaves the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to them. Because he wants to see them with the power of God. When the Holy Spirit shows up, things start happening in the church. The work of Christ continues to move. We see healings. You have <laughs> I'm not even attached to this crap. <laughs> Can you feel the towel? <laughs> so, they're going the way to the temple and they see something in here. temple to pray. Brian talked about prayer today. It was a regular part of their life. They're on their way to the temple and healing breaks forth. It wasn't a healing seminar. It wasn't a special gathering. It was just they were going to Aldi's and healing happened on, on the way. They said silver and gold. I don't have any but in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and walk. And he went what? Let's sing it together. Walking and leaping and praising God, right? Got to be a little older to know that song. That's all right. Healings. Salvations were breaking out everywhere they turned. It says in Acts chapter 4, the numbers had grown to 5,000 new believers. Wow. Just everywhere, people were getting saved. Boldness to speak of Christ. The same people like Peter, who had just denied Christ, his, his harsh words, I do not know the man. A solid denial of Christ. Now Christ is saying, I'm going to build the church. and You're a key player in this. And he's now preaching to thousands. His danger is very real, extremely real. And yet Peter has the boldness to preach to thousands. And, and the disciples are now proudly proclaiming to the authorities where they've just been thrown into prison. They could go back there in a moment. And they're boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. I need that boldness. The boldness to not soft soap it, to not just, I don't know what you want to call it. Sometimes we get so, so culturally sensitive that we say nothing. You know, I believe in a higher power. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a place where we need to stand and have a boldness for Christ. And they had this because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then number four, they had unity and community. Now, you may say the healings are the greatest miracle, but I'm not sure. When you take people who are like us, 
Try something else. How's that? Let's try. We'll try different things today. You got people like us who have so many different ways of thinking. One of the things we have in America today, and I don't think it was much different even for the Jews, is that they thought independently. People have strong opinions. You know anybody with strong opinions? Do not point to your spouse. We, people, we have strong opinions, and that's okay. And yet, and yet, there was a unity and a community that was remarkable in those days. So we move into Acts 2. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. That's, that's radical. That wasn't common then, and it sure isn't common now. So you see healings, salvation, boldness, unity. You can kind of picture them all in a big circle singing Kumbaya, right? They're all swaying and singing. It was a Christian utopia. At least it kind of sound, sounds that way. And now we move into Acts 4, the beginning part of Acts 5. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart, and soul, and no one said that they, that of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Unity, selfless sharing, generosity, community, deep relationships. And may I just say on a side note, this is not communism. I've heard people say, see, the early church had communism. I go, no, they didn't. They had deep community they had voluntary sharing. And there's a massive difference between sharing your goods and someone taking your goods. Because God cares about our hearts. And so this is what was going on in the early church. Verse 33, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Power and boldness. Verse 34, and there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite named a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So hear this. Their power, their being filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't just make them feel closer to Jesus, which is wonderful. Happens in worship. Happens in prayer. We feel closer to the Lord. But it changed the way they use their money and their resources. It changed them really where it gets us, right? I know a pastor that when he baptizes people, it's a, I think it's a joke, but he says, I make sure they get baptized with their wallet in their pocket. Instead of getting baptized and holding the wallet up above, I'm getting baptized, but not the money. No, it affected the way that they spent even their money. And our walk with Christ can never be a slice of our lives. If your walk with Christ is you attend church here Sunday morning, and the rest you live like you want, you've missed it. Our walk with Christ is so much more than that. It really has to per permeate all of our very being. I love the song that 
our team led us in this morning. This is my desire to honor you. All I have within me, I give you praise. It's a, it's a everything commitment to the Lord. And that affects even the way we view and use our money. Now, somebody's out there thinking he's moving towards a special offering this morning, right? I am not. This is not about a fundraiser. And I'm not even advocating. I've heard this people do this, actually. But I'm not advocating that we take our house titles and our car keys and we all lay them here in front. Be amazing if we did. But I'm not sure that's what the Lord is asking of us today. What I am saying is that when they were full of the Holy Spirit, God got a hold of them. And their homes became tools that God wants to use for the kingdom. Morning. Their lives, their cars, their time, their resources, it was all the Lord's. And when we get that, that we are stewards of what God's given us, we can say, Lord, how do you want us to use this? How do you want me to use my time? How do you want me to use my resources? How do you want me to use my house? How do you want me to use whatever God has placed in your hands? They were like, Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. And that takes not just a, you can't be guilted into that. You really can't even be challenged into that. That comes by a move of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. And this morning I want to talk about a topic I thought, you know, I don't know if it's right if we're on the lawn where we should be talking about, you know, ice cream and picnics or something like that. But I want to talk about the fear of the Lord this morning. And I believe if we properly understand the fear of the Lord, it's a life-giving message. Because it puts us in proper alignment of how God has made us and what he wants to do in our lives. So I want to read about Acts 5. As I was reading, we're moving through Acts bit by bit. And Acts 5 talks about Ananias and Sapphira. I want to read this. It starts off with the word but. I thought, you know, they've just talked about these amazing miracles. God's on the move. Healings and salvations and powerful transformations. And then verse chapter 5 goes, but. I thought, there's always a but, isn't there? There's the life is messy. Anybody found that life is messy? Get it all figured out, and then it, it, things are moving, and there's a revival, and then, but we're still human beings. I've heard people criticize the church. I've heard people criticize our church and others, and I, my answer to them is, you know, we got a bunch of people who are saved and following Jesus, but we're on a journey. And it's not that everybody in the church is perfect yet, because I don't know anybody who's there yet. We're still a bunch of people who are figuring this out, who are on a journey. And when we mess up, praise God, we can repent, find forgiveness, heal relationships. But we're, it's messy. So life is messy. Right, Ron? Not because of sin. Ron's walked through some challenging times. Life's messy. It keeps pressing on. So Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira they sold some property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart 
to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did not it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died. And great fear, say that with me, great fear. Great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They're going to carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Young men came, they found her dead, they carried out and her out and buried her beside her husband. And, say with me, great fear. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard those things. So in the church, God was moving. People were responding with sacrificial generosity, kindness to the poor. And this man named Barnabas sold his land. He sold it and brought all the money to the apostles. And it was known. People were talking about, hey, did you hear about Barnabas? This guy, he, he sold that house over there. He sold that property and he brought all that to the church. Oh, man, what a guy, right? He was getting some public affirmation. It's listed here in the scriptures. People thought that was pretty great. And there was maybe a bar set or at least people read into it and saw a bar like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. Ananias and Sapphira, new believers, you can just kind of hear him starting to talk. Well, you know, we got a field. We got some property, and we're, you know, what do we do with that? I mean, shouldn't we be as generous as Barnabas? He did it, so I guess we should. But wasn't that our inheritance? Wasn't that our savings for our later years? And, well, what are people going to say if we give half of it? Maybe they'll say we're not really Christians, or we're not really living up to the standard. And, and so Ananias I could kind of hear him going, I got an idea. Why don't we just say we sold it for this much and we'll give that. And that way, the church will be blessed and we can tuck some aside underneath our mattress and we'll have some for savings. And Sapphira goes, great idea, honey. And that's what they did. The scripture tells us that God does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And Peter made it pretty clear. There was no requirement anywhere that they had to give all their money to the church. Or any of it, really. They had a land. They could have saved it for their own. When they had the money, they could have said, here, we're going to give 50% of it. That would have been great. Whatever God put on their hearts. But that's not what they did. They came in deception to possibly get some public affirmation or at least the affirmation of the apostles. And Peter saw the deception in their lives. And each of them in turn were judged for their deception and they, they dropped dead. I was trying to think of what would happen if that happened today in church. I mean, really, what would happen if that happened to us today at City Hill? If someone came forward, lied in their time of giving an offering, 
and as a result, they dropped dead. What would the media say about our church on Sunday morning? I don't, I don't think it would be pretty. And then what would happen next Sunday? What would church look like next Sunday? Would we be packed out because God is on the move? Or would no one show up because, huh, what about me? Hard to say. But great fear fell upon the church. Great fear. I want to ask you a question. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, sounds bad, right? It's a great thing. It's a great good or a great bad? It's a great good. There is a good fear. Not all fear is bad. The scripture does tell us in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So God has not given us a spirit of fear. What about the fear that fell upon this church? I just want to repeat that there is a fear that is godly and healthy and righteous and that you need in your life. It is not the fear of man. It's They lived in the fear of man. What might the apostles and others say about us? That is not a good fear. So often our decisions are ruled or directed by what others will think of us. And we just know that, right? All of us wrestle with that. None of us want to be laughed at. None of us want to be scorned. I'm not talking about the good-natured ribbing that can happen primarily among men. Women don't pick on each other the way guys pick on each other. Not normally. Some of that's just good fun, right? But some of that is the fear of man, where we're afraid of what people will say and think. That's not of God. It's not the fear of death. I love the scripture, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? When you die knowing Christ, and when you live knowing Christ, that the fear of death does not control your life. I think that's an important thing to look at. I think so often people think their ultimate goal in life is to stay alive, and I'd like to say it's not. Because those who know Christ, death is simply a doorway. You know, we've been walking through the death of my mother, and, you know, it just hasn't been sad. I almost feel guilty that it's not sad. Like, shouldn't I feel worse? But it was just so joyous watching a woman that loved Jesus cross over into her eternal reward. It's like there was joy in the camp. She, was, she said, I have no fear of dying. None. I go, there should not be a fear in death. It's not the fear of Satan either. Love that scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When Satan comes to attack you, and he does, in many different ways, sometimes not as dramatic as you might think, but the thought that enters into your mind to tear you down. The thought that speaks of your destruction, that your life is not worth living. Those are attacks of the enemy, and we don't need to be afraid of those. Because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Say that with me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I told this once, but I remember when I, I was in North Africa and I had a man that cursed me. I'd never really been that directly cursed. 
I was in a market. I spoke to him, and he went crazy. We were bartering for shish kebabs. And he turned and went, death to your mother, death to your father, and had all sorts of evil other words to say that I won't repeat. And, I mean, I'm like standing, and this guy is cursing my family, screaming, yelling, waving this type of club over my head. And when I got back, we got away from him, and when I got back to my hotel, I was like, you know, I'm not at any risk here. These fly over like a bird, right? The spirit of God in me is not at risk because he's casting curses of surely of Satan upon me. I'm like, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Thank you, Lord, for your blood. Thank you for your protection. I'm not at risk here. I don't need to be afraid. I don't have to go around the next year going, oh, no, who's going to die in my family? There's been a curse over me. No, because greater is he that's in me. Spirit of God in me, not because I'm strong or righteous, but because he's strong, he's righteous. We don't have to have that fear. But we are called to walk in the fear of the Lord. And if there's a message you want to have take home today is you are called to live, to walk, to dwell in the fear of the Lord, and it will bring you life. It will bring you life. What is the fear of the Lord? When the Bible refers to the fear of the Lord, it means having a deep respect or reverence and awe for God and his power and authority. It's that I'm in the presence of a holy God. And God is with me, and therefore I have a deep awe and respect for him. It's not that you live in trembling fear, although at times that has its place. But the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Who wants wisdom? You want wisdom in your life? The decisions you make each day? Well, you start with the fear of the Lord. And so I'd ask the question, how does walking in the fear of the Lord give us wisdom? Uh, one of a, a discipler named David Buring, he's been at our church, he refers to this as reverence. That the fear of the Lord is reverencing and referencing the Lord in everything. Say reverencing and referencing. Reverencing and referencing. To me, to be reverent before the Lord says these things. And may this be your heart attitude in your relationship with God. That he is God and I am not. Everybody said amen. Amen. <laughs> He is holy, and I am not. I'm made holy, but he is holy. He's the redeemer. I am the redeemed. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He's the big boss, and I am the servant. He is Father God. I am his beloved child. He is my righteous judge. And I am not the one that judges him. It's a proper alignment of ourselves with truth. With what is in this world. And even if you don't say or believe those things, those things are true. And a reverence of God recognizes our position as the creator. David says, what is man that you're mindful of him? realizing 
that God is totally above and, uh, and over us, and yet he reaches down with incredible love for each of us. You know, I'd say, yes, Jesus is our friend. Yes, Jesus loves us passionately and deeply. I just got to say, I get a little bit uncomfortable when I, say, when I hear people say, well, Jesus is my homie. You know, he's my buddy, he's my pal. I kind of go, Jesus is your friend. Somehow those are different words to me, but he's not just your hangout buddy, although he wants to hang out with you. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we never forget that. And referencing the Lord means we bring Jesus into each of our decisions. Now, maybe it doesn't mean what you order when you go to lunch at Culver's, but maybe it is. Maybe, but when you bring Jesus into your decisions, you're asking God, how should you spend today? Who should you meet with? Where should you go? What you should watch on TV? Maybe should you have TV at all? I know a lot of families that have not had TVs, and it's been good for them. We ask the Lord how we should live, and then we are submitted to him as best as we can. Now, I realize this can get a bit crazy. I realize there are those that can get frozen. You've heard of the frozen chosen, right? Those that can't order something on the menu until God speaks to them. I don't think we need to do that. I think we can move through. I think we can look and say, Lord, guide me in what I eat. May I eat healthy and then go for it. I think we can make decisions in life and believing that God is leading and guiding us. So we don't, we don't get frozen, but I do believe that referencing the Lord says we bring him into every decision. We bring him into where we should work. We bring him into our finances. We bring him into our marriage relationship. I, I know people are getting married without praying about it, and I think, what are you doing? We need to, re we need to reference as in God, help me with the decisions of my life so that I can honor you in everything I do. And to me, this is walking in the fear of the Lord. And when you align your life with the purposes of God, then there'll be great wisdom in your life. And people will say, you know, you're just, you're just a wise guy. Anybody want any wise guys around here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, you're a wise guy. I like that. He's, he walks in wisdom. That's what you were saying, right, Mom? Yeah. Um, it's inviting the Lord into each and every aspect of our lives and referencing him, saying, Lord, how do I live my life? What do I do with this? Where should I attend church? Should I be a part of this life group? Should I be in the worship team? We're just inviting the Lord to lead and guide, and then we learn to hear his voice, and to the best of our abilities, we walk in obedience to that voice. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Just to be brutally honest, I would say as I've walked in the fear of the Lord, 
And as I walk in submission to his word, there are some things I read in the scriptures that I don't like. Anybody with me? That personally, if I were God, and I'm not, I might have done things differently. When I read about Israel being commanded to go into a town, kill everybody in the town, I'm uncomfortable with that. When I read about hell, it's a tough theology for me. When I think of free will, that people have freedom to do harmful and evil things, sometimes I wish we could change that. And I, I struggle over some of those things. So what do I do? Do I have the freedom to rewrite scripture? Do I have the freedom to say, well, that's not a good God? I think the first thing I say is, I don't get it. It's okay not to get it, right? Sometimes I read scriptures and I go, I need to study more. I need to talk to some people that understand this better than I do. I don't get it. And that's okay. That's a good answer, actually. Sometimes I go, I don't fully get this. But when I get to the place, and when you get to the place where you say, that's not fair, that's not good, a good God wouldn't do that, what I hear is, in other words, my sense of justice is better than God's. And I would actually be a better God than God is. And those are very dangerous places for us to be in our lives. I think it's far better to go, I don't get this. I don't fully understand it. Let me understand what was happening in this situation. And sometimes the conclusion is, I still don't get it, but Lord, I know that you are good and I know that you are just. And your justice is higher than mine. Amen? Your justice is higher. Your goodness is higher. Your love is greater. And I am as the clay and you as the potter. I live under your Lordship, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's likely that Ananias and Sapphira said many of those things. That they could sneak something by on the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that's a bad idea? That you kind of, I can do this and God won't see. Well, some of the wonderful characteristics of God are wonderful if we're following him. One of the names of God is El Roy, the God who sees. And the beauty of that is when you think you're alone and you think God doesn't see and you're hurting by yourself, El Roy, the Lord, sees. He's with you in your suffering. You're not hidden from him. And we all say praise the Lord. But when you want to do something sneaky and you want to do something of your own flesh and you go, I can just slip this one by on the Holy Spirit, El Roy still sees. The Lord sees our lives. And Ananias and Sapphira hadn't quite figured that out. They thought they could deceive the Holy Spirit. They thought they could lie. And it was extremely costly to them. Nothing we do, nothing we say, nothing we think is outside of the view and the knowledge of our God. 
Psalm 139, 9 says, If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. No matter where you go, if I say, surely the darkness will cover me, and the light about me be night, if I can hide in darkness, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Walking in the fear of the Lord puts our life in line with God. I'm not saying that we should live in terror of God. I'm not saying, remember I just talked about grace and mercy? This is the other side of grace and mercy. It's not that God, please hear me, it's not that you should walk in the fear of the Lord and God's that God with that big sledgehammer waiting to pound you. That's not the message I want you to hear today. I believe that these two go very well in hand, that as we understand how great is our God and his power and his authority in our lives, then we will just revel all the more in his mercy and his kindness and his long-suffering and his goodness to us. And that when we come before the throne of God, we won't come with our righteousness, but we'll come calling upon the mercy and the grace of our God. We won't need to be afraid because we stand under the salvation and the redemption of Jesus. Anybody say amen to that? So to me, that just puts us in right place. It puts us in a right place saying, you are God and I am not. Job came to that conclusion in his life. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That's saying, even when things are going bad, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And my prayer is that as we do that, we will order our lives and find that fulfillment in life because our lives are walking in the plans and purposes of God as we have a reverence for him and as we invite him, we reference him in everything we do, I believe we'll grow in wisdom as his children. Amen? Let's stand. Worship team, come on up. I want to pray a blessing over you guys this morning. Father, I thank you for your presence. We thank you that you want to align us in right, holy relationship with you. And I pray for the church this morning. May Almighty God reveal himself to you in such a way that your response would be holy fear, holy reverence, and profound gratitude for his bountiful grace and mercy. May we walk as his children with joy and in the holy fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A couple things just as we end today. We have right here a truck with tropical ice snow cones for us today as a special treat on this summer day.